Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Hello, everyone. Normally I start, you know, just talking to Melissa, but today I know everyone's very excited because everyone loves when we have guests. We have the one and only Charlie Prangley on the podcast today. Similar to when we had Nathan on the podcast, I'm like, you probably already know who Charlie is. She doesn't even need an intro. She's kind of a convert kit celebrity. <laughs> but she's we'll still- like, uh. <laughs> she is. It's true. She um, is. <laughs> we'll still let her, of course, intro herself. But um, I can also say some fun things too because I like talking about Charlie. Charlie is our creative director at ConvertKit. She's wonderful. Currently living in. Valencia. Correct. Which I just love to see all the photos. <laughs> At first I wanted to say Barcelona. I'm like, no, that's not right. It's Valencia. <laughs> no, the other city. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love all the beautiful Valencia content you post on your Instagram. And Charlie and I get to be co-managers together, which is just so fun. It is. She's a boss. <laughs> so we usually start out by talking about how we're doing. So Charlie, how are you doing? Oh, do you do red, yellow, green here on this podcast? We don't, but you know, you could introduce it if you want to. Yeah, we've never done that. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, let me tell you about something we do at ConvertKit in our team meetings is this check-in idea called red, yellow, green, where it's like a traffic light where you say like how you're feeling. So you can show up to a meeting and be like, I'm red today. You don't have to give any other explanation and just everyone knows today is not a good day for you. Your light's on the struggle bus and it just like, Let's people set the scene for um, any conversations going forward. But today I'm feeling very green. I'm excited to be recording with you two. And I just had a great focus block working on a storyboard for a motion graphic about our new creator network feature. So mm. sneak peek that that's a thing that's going to be coming soon. And so, yeah, feeling really good today. How about you? I'm green. I feel like there's so much going on right now. And I feel like I say that every time we have a (laughs) podcast recording. So maybe it's just I sound like a broken record, but I get married next week. So it's so exciting. Yeah, I'm finally at the excited stage. So that's good. That's nice. (laughs) Good. Yeah. How are you, Alyssa? I'm good. I yeah, I am green. <laughs> you made me think of some things. Are, like, you, are you really good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I feel like I haven't opened up much to the podcast, but honestly, I feel like I should because our podcast listeners are the best. And it made me think of like before I left for maternity leave, I wish I had it pulled up. I got the sweetest email I think I've ever received from a podcast listener about being a mom. And it was just like the kindest message ever. And it was so wonderful. I should have it pulled up so I could thank them. But anyway, so I know our listeners like care a little bit about stuff. So I'm green today. But Melissa, you talking about your wedding coming up reminded me that like, I know, I think I'm about just a little over a week away from my little baby James having surgery. So that's weighing on me. Um, So maybe that like when I think about that, I'm less green. And also this is a good chance for me to like ask listeners if they have any tips or advice or know any, I don't know, things. He has a cleft palate and is getting his cleft palate repaired, which is basically when the roof of his mouth is like not fully closed. You can't tell by looking at him. So anyways, if anyone has insight, tips, advice on things like that, 
let me know. I'd love to chat about it. But work and being here with you all is making me feel more green. There is a lot going on, but it's fun stuff. And I'm very excited for Melissa. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I can't wait to see all the wedding content. I wish I could be there, but I know. it'll be so good and so fun. Well, I hope James's surgery goes well. I know it will. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't take away the the stress of it all. And thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I hope he has fourth one. So we're, Ooh, you know, yeah. we're kind of used to it. And this will be the last one we know about. Obviously, it's very, I would say, likely that he'll have more in his life. But this is like the last planned one. So I'm very excited to get it over with yeah. and get over the three weeks of terrible, he can't eat solid food, recovery stuff. Mm. And then we're going to have a huge party. Yeah. Birthday party. Yes. Oh, I love that. All that. So yeah, I'm just like mentally there and just yep. telling myself that it's going to be over soon. Yes. So. Just wait for the potty. Yes. <laughs> yes. I will be excited for, for pictures of all of that. <sighs> Me too. It'll be farm themed because he loves to say that cows say moo. So oh. <laughs> that's yeah. really cute. <sighs> love it. Okay. Well, We'll get into some less sad things, more fun things, which fun things. is <laughs> email, digital emails. <laughs> yeah, email, selling things through email. Yes. I think that's huge. You know, a lot of people have email lists, they have newsletters, and they want to monetize them. And it can be hard to know where to go, uh, where to monetize things. So I think, Charlie, you're awesome at monetization. <laughs> I love your yearly income reports. They're amazing. All my many income streams, yes. <laughs> exactly. It is so cool. So you're the perfect person to talk to us about income streams. First, since, you know, you didn't get a proper <laughs> intro, it was really just me talking about how much I love to work with you. I would love for you to tell us about yourself and your creator journey. Yeah. So I do usually lead with the fact that I'm a designer and creative director when I introduce myself. So you were right to do that also. But as well as working at ConvertKit, I am a creator on the side. I run essentially the equivalent of a full-time creator business, like in terms of the income it brings in, but I only work on it part-time, usually for a couple of hours in my mornings. Um, It's something that I've been building up for many years The main content I produce is on YouTube. I make design education content. I share stuff about the work that I do at ConvertKit and just trying to give people like an inside look at real life design projects as they happen in tech. And so that's been a channel, you know, almost 10 years in the making. I also now have a blog, a newsletter, do social media stuff too. And um, I sell digital products, which is what I think you mostly want to talk about today. But yeah, that's me. I'm all about design and helping other designers uh, on their careers. So awesome. I'm excited because this episode will tie in really well with our last episode, which was talking about like why email is still a very important channel Mm -hmm. in marketing. So I I think that's going to be like perfect to segue into this. Yes, I'm a firm believer in that also. And I'm not just saying that because I work at ConvertKit. <laughs> I know. Sometimes it's hard to – it's like, okay, I might be a little biased, but here's all the reasons why. And I think I think we did a good job hopefully convincing everyone that email is here to stay for a while yeah. last week. So, <laughs> But speaking of ConvertKit, just to get that out of the way, I am curious, um, what brought you to ConvertKit? Ooh, well, I met our fearless leader, Nathan Barry, at a conference <laughs> Back in 2016, I think it was, I'd been invited to speak at the conference as a creator. So I was talking about producing consistent YouTube content. At that point, I'd been uploading videos for, I believe it was nearly, it must be four years, three years, something by that point. And I'd never missed a single week of uploading. And so 
I was sharing a talk about how I do that, manage my schedule while producing content part-time, etc. Nathan was also speaking at the conference. And I mean, hopefully people who listen to this podcast know about Nathan and how generally impressive he is as a person. And it was fun to meet him there. After the conference, he invited a friend and I out to lunch and we sat in this little pizza place talking about design and work. And during the conversation, he was like, have you ever considered working remotely for an email marketing software company? (laughs) And I was like, that's a weird question. (laughs) And my friend was like, "Uh, I'm pretty sure he's offering you a job. (laughs) It's amazing. Which he kind of was. So yeah, that's how I ended up here. I just, I love to work for a company where I firmly believe in the mission, which I do for ConvertKit about helping creators earn a living. And it's very fun for me to get to be both part of the target audience and designing the brand and marketing materials for the target audience. Like I can be my own user research at times, which is very fun. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's what brought me here. Yes, that's very valuable and very unique. We love that. That's where you're at too, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) That helps ConvertKit. So important. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing worse than seeing a brand like create a product Mm -hmm. and they have no idea anything about that target audience. And you can kind of, you get those vibes, you know, it's like, yes, you can always tell. I don't even know the meme. It's like, hello, my fellow kids. Yeah, hello. It's like, like, hey, creators. (laughs) And they're like, "Uh, who are you? (laughs) We can actually be like, okay, hey, creators. Like we are creators. Yeah. Yes. And I love that I get to test out all our new features and like use them in my Mm -hmm. real account that I really use with my real audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. And also I like getting to be on the early beta list for anything new we launch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. A little perk. Yeah. Just a little perk. So I know that it's different every day, but what's, you know, the general like day in the life of the creative mm. director at ConvertKit? Ooh. So my day starts kind of like I said before with spending some time on my own business first because I live in Spain and most of the ConvertKit team lives in the US. I actually have pretty much all of my mornings free. I don't really start work until like 11 noon because I'm on meetings until uh, later into my evening. Mm-hmm. And so that's awesome for me. I get to start the day with spending some time on my own business and moving that forward. And then you're right, Alyssa, an average day in the creative director life. There isn't one, but um, I spend a lot of time giving feedback to folks is something that I realized from tracking my time recently. (laughs) I'm like, well, I'm creative director, so I'm directing the creative of all the things Mm -hmm. that the brand studio team are producing, Mm -hmm. giving feedback, making sure on the track that things are going to achieve the goals that we have for them. They're going to be consistent with our brand. I focus on building affinity with creators through our brand. So we want our brand to be something that creators are like. I really respect and admire that. Like they get me, it's relatable. I see me reflected in the stuff you put out. And so yeah, I'm using that lens on everything. And then I'm in meetings with you, Alyssa, as part of the growth Mm -hmm. leadership team. We work (laughs) on growth strategy for ConvertKit together. And yeah, every now and then I also do some designing still, but that's getting less and less because there's other priorities. (laughs) There's a lot going on. Yes. But you have a great team. (laughs) Yes. That make things look beautiful. Yeah. We've got a multidisciplinary brand studio team, which is really fun. So we have on the team a designer, a developer, a filmmaker, and a storyteller who's like writes profiles of creators. And so it's fun, all the stuff we get to produce together to represent our brand. So cool. Yeah. I'm glad that Alyssa and I are in charge of... (laughs) Any of those things. We were talking about that at our last retreat. And I was like, we just, you know, the one of our teams recently did the an all team call presentation. And I was like, just 
like biting my nails because I was so appalled at my presentation work. (laughs) And I was like, I was like trying to figure out where to put a picture. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that these decisions do not fall on me daily because it would stress (laughs) me out. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny, isn't it? Because like, that's the stuff I live for and like it becomes a second nature for me. Yeah. But also I have spent more than a decade working, doing that exact thing. So, you know, you'd expect me to be at that point. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's insane what you and your team can point out. You're Definitely. Like, oh yeah, that's like one pixel off. I'm like, what? Yeah. How did you? <laughs> I know. You're like that's not centered and it looks so centered. I'm like, what? <laughs> How can you tell? <laughs> we just can. That was the funniest thing about being at retreat was all the conversations around like some of the design stuff. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God I'm not in charge of these decisions. <laughs> yes. Very impressive. So As you mentioned, you're a creator. You're working with creators every day. We have a team of creators. So let's say you're talking to a creator who doesn't use email yet. Mm -hmm. What's usually like the spiel you give about why email is so important to creators? Oh, yeah. I usually talk about the fact that it's like, as a creator, our audience is kind of our livelihood, right? What we can earn, our potential depends on the number of people who are paying attention to us, essentially, our audience. And it feels really scary to just leave that entirely up to platforms that you can't control. I have built most of my audience on YouTube. So I've got about 220,000 subscribers there, which sounds impressive, but it's really hard to get them all to watch my videos. Like it's really hard to actually reach them in their subscription feed. Same on Twitter, same on Instagram. I've got like a good following there, but like my content doesn't get anywhere near the number of engagement as I do have followers because these platforms are all about their algorithms and it's really up to them if you reach your audience or not. And so my email list, which I think at this stage is about 16,000 people, sounds smaller when you compare it to numbers I have on other platforms, but I get like 45% open rates. So it's like I can send an email to 16,000 people and guarantee that 45% of them pretty much are going to open it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I put up a video on YouTube to my 220,000 subscribers. I'm like doing well if I get two and a half thousand views in the first week on that video. And so, yeah, email is powerful for directly reaching your audience. That's so interesting. It's crazy how like when I watch people on Instagram now, like they'll talk about like I only sell products on Instagram. That's it. That's my only place that yeah, I like that's their site, their shop. That's everything. their shop. Yeah. And I just I actually follow like a fitness person who's very vocal about that. Like if you want to be involved in this program, like you have to purchase through Instagram. That's the only way to do it. And I like kind of sit there and think about like before working for ConvertKit, I never would have thought about that. Um, but now I'm just like cringing the whole time and I'm like, don't do it. Like <laughs> do something else too. <laughs> Cover your bets. Yeah. Yeah. Own that access. Yeah. And I think YouTube is so interesting talking about that versus email. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never made a YouTube video really. But I assume the way I understand it is like the people that watch your videos, it's kind of anonymous. Like you don't know Mm. who watched it and you have no way to like follow up with them, target them, sell them something other than, you know, obviously like putting out in the general message, like, hey, buy this thing. It seems like You just don't have much data about Mm. the people actually watching it and the ability to contact them. That's, is that right? That is correct. You really only know if if someone watched, if they leave a comment, but even then you only get to see 
their name and profile picture. And if they have a YouTube channel themselves, maybe you can get a bit more information, but it's obviously really manual to go and check out every one of those comments. And you get like general demographics of people who are watching, but yeah, you can't follow up with them or anything like that. So I really like to try and encourage my YouTube audience to sign up to my email list so that I can learn more about them. My most recent thing, for example, I made a video with about a uh, wait, I'll say that I made a worksheet that I was giving away for free that was mm. like a career design career check-in mm. meant to like some reflection questions you can ans- answer and ask yourself to figure out if you've got alignment between what you want to be doing and what you're doing right now. And I made a video going through the worksheet myself and like talking about the concept behind it and introducing it, um, linked to a landing page made on ConvertKit, of course, where people could download it. And on the landing page, I had some check boxes where people had to say what type of design work they do, because then I get to learn from the people signing up to my list. Are they doing marketing design like me? Are they doing product design? Are they not a designer and they just want this thing anyway? And it's just another chance to learn. And now I get to reach out to them again with stuff that will hopefully be useful for the type of design work that they do. Yeah, as I say, that helps you serve your audience a lot, a lot easier and better. And probably it's more interesting and fun for you, too. Definitely to know like as far as like content creation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I feel like you just said three like pieces of gold in that one moment. So I just want to recap <laughs> for everyone because <laughs> they were so good. So one, if you want to get people who subscribe to you on other platforms, follow you on other platforms, join your email list. A great way to do that is by offering some sort of like lead magnet, digital download, something to provide extra value. Two, something I never thought about that's so cool is you can actually like walk through that digital download, yeah. you know, on a video or something to make them really eager to use it, show how it's providing you value. That's so cool. And then three, collecting information on the landing page so that you know about your subscribers. I know we've talked about in a lot of different episodes that segmentation is so important. Mm -hmm. You want to send relevant emails. And I think it's way harder to know what to say in your emails if you don't know your audience. Mm -hmm. So that's another way that you can understand like, who am I writing to right now? And like, who should I exclude from this message? Or who should I send this message to? So all of that is just so good. Definitely. I love it. Speaking of um, like knowing what your audience wants, can you tell us a little bit about your digital products and kind of like how those came about? Yeah. So my first ever digital product that I made was a font. I chose a really hard one (laughs) as the first one to sell. Um, (laughs) It took me years to actually create it. I did a a course by a ConvertKit creator called Tila Cunningham. She made a course about font design. So I followed that, made my font, and now it's available for sale for people and they can buy it either a personal license for just use for their own stuff, like maybe in their own portfolio or you know, just for fun or an extended license, which is one that they get to use for like commercial use, whether it's for a client project or like for a business, anything that's going to be making money. And that one is obviously more expensive. So that's my first digital product. And then what else have I made? I don't know if this is counted, but I did a like sold tickets to a live event once with a bunch of mm. design YouTube friends. We did a content creation for designers event that we sold tickets for. So that was my second like foray into selling something directly to my audience online. And then my most recent one is hand-drawn vector pack. So it's like 400 different arrows and doodles and squiggles and stuff like that, that, um, 
people can get for just five bucks and use in their Figma files or in Photoshop or whatever they want to do, just to add some like fun hand-drawn touches to things because I'm a big fan of hand-drawn touches. <laughs> yeah, it makes such a difference. Yeah, I think it's fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was your process like deciding if you want to monetize your list? Like I think a lot of people struggle with what do I sell? What do I even mm-hmm. you know provide my audience? What will people buy? Did you have that moment or did you just kind of go to what seemed fun for you and what you thought would provide people value? I wish that I could say that <laughs> it was very considered business decision, but it was just, I wanted to make it fun. Yeah. I thought that would be a fun thing to do. I've been a, like, asset designer, been collecting fonts for years, and I just thought, this is thing something I want to do. I want to make my own font. I think that that would be fun to, like, say that I've done it. And so that's how I decided that as my first digital product. And then the same thing sort of happened with the hand-drawn vector pack as well. I was like, this is something that I would find useful. (laughs) Like I'm always having to like randomly draw arrows and things like that to add into a design. So why not make it as a pack for other people to get as well? But I think that if I was purposefully going after something I know my audience has been asking for and that would be a better business decision I would probably have made a course by now because mm. that's what people have been asking about but that just seems overwhelming to me and so I'm sticking with the like little things that I've made all my products are super cheap like the vector pack is five bucks the font is either 12 or 26 depending on what like level you buy and so I'm just aiming to make like oh my goodness you need to raise the price I, I'm Yeah, I was like, I had a price in my head already. I thought it was going to be hundreds. (laughs) I Yeah. Nope. I'm going for like cheap, accessible. Love that. It's a no-brainer to buy it sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. It is a no-brainer. Everybody else should go buy it. I know. Seriously. I'm like, oh, what do I need a font for right now? So good. (laughs) CharlieMarie.com slash font. (laughs) Yes. There you go. So I know you have a lot of income streams. Do you have any stats you want to share about this income stream or other income streams that have been really useful for you as a creator? Yeah. So my product income stream has been the smallest for a long time. And it's one that I'm actively trying to grow because I think that it's really cool to be able to make something once and then sell it and people can purchase it again and again and again. So I'm kind of like with the view now that I want to add one new product to my lineup each year. Mm. Again, I work on my business on the side. And so maybe if I was doing it full time, I could aim for a lot more than that. But yeah, this year was my scribbles, the vector pack that I added. And I'll add another one next year just so that there's like more options of things people can purchase. I'm looking at my stats in ConvertKit Commerce right now. And I think for the lifetime of my font so far, I launched it in 2020, it's earned a little over three thousand dollars. Nice. Uh, maybe it's more like three and a half thousand. So you know, that's like not quit your day job level income, but it's pretty cool that this thing that yeah. I made once is now just mm-hmm. you know having sales come in. I think last month I made a hundred bucks from it, and that that felt like passive income, even though I n- yeah. I don't think it's that passive because I did actively spend a lot of time on it mm-hmm. like earlier. And I still don't know if I've you know made a good hourly rate back if I consider the time that I spent on it. But it's still pretty cool to know that that income can come in without me doing very much at all mm-hmm. and that it'll continue to grow over time as well. Yeah. That's awesome. And it totally makes sense that you chose the font because that sounds like and that was enjoyable for you, even though mm-hmm. it yeah. took so much time. But I think 
you know, people listening to this podcast who want to create digital products, one piece of advice I've given, I, I keep referencing him. He keeps getting too much exposure, but my husband, Thomas, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably listening. So uh, <laughs> shout out is like, he creates so many things for himself and his day job, like templates and spreadsheets. And, you know, even like we have an Airbnb and he has this like spreadsheet he uses to analyze if a deal is good, whatever. So there are just so many things like that he's created that people want and like mm. sell it. Or my <laughs> friend who's a teacher, she makes the most amazing lesson plans. And I'm like, uh, sell those, <laughs> uh, you know? So I think one thing to think about for people, if you want to start, you know, selling some digital products, think about the tools you've created for yourself that helps you in your niche and sell it to other people, templatize it. Yeah. Fully agree with that. And also anything that you've been wanting to make for yourself, and you just haven't been able to prioritize it. That's what happened for me with this Scribbles vector pack. I was like, I know it'd be really useful for me to have this library of things that are already drawn that I can pull from. So I don't have to pull out my iPad and procreate each time. But I never prioritized doing that just for myself. But as soon as I had the idea that I could sell it, I was like, okay, well, now it's going to be worth my time to make this. So let's do it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I love it. Our fig jams got so much prettier at Convert Kids yeah. as soon as that was available. <laughs> I don't know if they did. Nathan's still drawing his own janky arrows. <laughs> yeah. Oh We're letting gosh. you guys in on an inside joke. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Nathan drew some arrows live on a Zoom call and he will never live it down because... No. They were bad. We're going to make stickers. They were bad. <laughs> that was... <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, I can't talk because that's what mine would have looked like too. So, <laughs> But, you know, we have Charlie's you know, scribbles available yep. for him to use. Exactly. So no excuses. No excuses. So while we're on the topic of design, this is kind of a selfish question because I want to know for myself too, but I'm curious, what advice do you have for creators who want to make things look good? You know, all the content they're putting out, maybe they want to create a digital download and they want it to look nice. It's a good question. But they are on a budget. What do you suggest for creators? The main thing that I suggest is to keep it simple. And like the more simple you make it, the more refined your design is going to feel. Because when you start to do complicated things like, oh, let me add in a bunch of icons or like, let me use five different colors instead of just one or two. That's when you open yourself up to more risk of like making decisions that are like, I don't know, not super refined from a design perspective. Mm -hmm. And so the more simple you keep it, Pick one font that you like, pick one main color that you like, maybe a second one for like a little bit of secondary accents if you're feeling brave, but don't try and do too much more than that if you don't have design skills or have an interest in learning design skills as well. And also, you know what? There is no shame in using a template. There's lots of templates out there that exist. I think like Canva, which is a free design program, mm -hmm. provides a bunch of them too. Like Use a template. A designer created that template specifically for you to do this thing. So like use it, don't edit it too much and uh, <laughs> you'll be good. <laughs> I love Canva. I use yeah. it all the time, honestly. Not for like create uh, convert kit stuff, but for other stuff. It's really easy to use. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's a lot of out of the box stuff. Yeah, I'm a big template person. That's so funny that 
for you, it's easy to use. For me, I struggle with it because I try and do the <laughs> oh. things like the actual design software can do. And I'm like, ah, why wouldn't it let me do this thing? And it's because like Canva is trying to make things simple for you mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm just using it wrong. <laughs> That's so interesting. That goes into like, you know, ConvertKit and I think other companies, you try and think about like who you're serving and who you know, mm-hmm. you're not serving, even though they are great and, you know, they might use your product every now and then. But yeah, to me, Canva works like I don't even have to, it's so seamless. Like I'm barely even thinking about what I'm doing because it feels like everything is just exactly where I think it should be. And it works so seamlessly and it's fun to use, but that's, I've never used like a fancy, you know, Photoshop tool or anything like that. So I love uh, the fact that (laughs) for an advanced designer, (laughs) it does not feel that way. (laughs) And that's on me, not on Canva. <laughs> I think it shows that they like they've done a good job. They're not trying to serve everyone. Like yeah. they know their target user because you probably you don't need Canva. <laughs> as much. Yeah, yeah. Most of the yeah. time, I, I don't need Canva. I, yeah. I open up Figma instead. Yeah, but that's a good point though, and I think that that's something that creators can consider too. Mm-hmm. Is like who is your audience and who are you making content for? Who are you mm-hmm. making a product for? That's definitely something that I'm keeping in mind because templates and things is actually something that I've had folks ask me about as well. And the way I see it, I'm like, okay, the professional designer who I'm trying to help level up up in their career, they don't need that template though. Mm -hmm. Like I'd be creating this for the non-designers who are watching my content and I'm glad that they can watch it and get value from it. And like, they feel like they learn a few design tips and tricks from me, but that's not like who my heart wants to serve with my content, you know? I want to help the designers level up in their careers rather than help someone who doesn't know design learn design. Like I'm like, I'll catch you when you know the basics Mm -hmm. and now you're looking to like kill it as a professional. Like that's when I can best help you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where, you know, kind of like that rule of business people talk about is that you can't be everything for everyone. And it's true because if you took that time away from those people that you feel like you really want to serve you know, it's possible that the quality of the content or the goal that you had in mind, like isn't being reached. So I think that's really good advice. I also love what you were saying about like design. That's actually like, you know, about simplifying your design. Mm. That's something that I think gets kind of brought up sort of often when I talk to customers about migrating over to ConvertKit and about like, email templates. And, you know, people are coming from all different platforms and every platform does things differently. And it's hard sometimes to have that conversation with creators about, well, you know, at ConvertKit, like, you know, we really... a lot is the planar emails. Yeah, exactly. It's the content and like, who are you, like your audience that you're serving and like, what kind of content are you bringing to them? It's not necessarily about like the bells and whistles of the email. Not that we don't think those things are important too, but just like the overdoing it on the design doesn't hide not great content. Yep. And I know that's kind of like a harsher thing to say, but I think that's like a good a good thing to bring up. Yeah, I agree completely. The first time I actually started using a email template that was like designed, quote unquote, was when I started my newsletter because I feel like, well, it's a newsletter. I want it to feel like a certain way when people open their inbox, they know this is the marketing design dispatch. But every other email I've sent, like even when I do a product launch, I send a very plain looking email because I want it to feel like, oh, this is Charlie, this girl I know from YouTube emailing me and telling me about a new thing she made. 
I don't want it to feel like here's some slick sales page that's like all designed and like optimized to make you buy it right now. Like, obviously I'm trying to optimize my emails so to <laughs> buy it right now. But I think that actually one way that I do that is by making it feel personal. Mm-hmm. And I'll like drop in some screenshots of the product instead of like having some slick layout. I'll save the slick layouts for the newsletter when I feel like that's more expected. I love that. Yeah. Such good advice. I am taking mental notes. (laughs) I think I personally like, I love making things look pretty, but you can definitely overdo it when you're not a professional like myself. So it's good to remember, like, just keep it basic. Give yourself some credit, (laughs) Alyssa. Yes. You got some good design taste. I've I've seen your email newsletter. Yeah. (laughs) As I say, you do. It looks great. I use the basic template, but that's good. Like I, that's good. I, I use just a convert kit, like almost plain text kind of template. I do use our layouts feature that you mentioned, which I want to give it a shout out because not enough people know about it. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but if you're a convert kit user and you're in the editor, you can click that little plus button where you can add things to your email and scroll down to layouts click that. That is for me how you get your email to look the best in ConvertKit. Mm -hmm. It gives you these little blocks that you can add to your email and you can add images and text. And I'm not doing a good job explaining it really, but it's a great way to add some design elements to your email without making the whole thing Mm -hmm. over design. And it makes things look more professional in my opinion, but still personal at the same time. So yeah, I use those to include like a little pitch for one of my products in my newsletter. I use the one where this is going to be funny describing something visual in an audio medium, but it's got like (laughs) an image on the left and then there's some text and a button Mm -hmm. on the right. And it's got like a background as well. So it like sets apart from the rest of the newsletter. I'm sure that everyone can like picture it in their mind right now. Picture (laughs) me selling my font to you. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's what I like using a layout for. Yeah. It's perfect for like skimmability. I think that's Mm. still important in email. We don't really talk about it much on this podcast, but I think some of the biggest feedback I give customers if I'm reviewing their content is to add some elements to break up Mm -hmm. like the wall of text. Sometimes people just add a ton of text. It's like, okay, let's add a header here. Let's bold some things here. Let's add some line breaks. And then, you know, layouts, I think are a great way to break up a bunch of text. And we just have to be honest that a lot of people are kind of skimming emails Mm -hmm. because we're all very busy. So make sure it's easy to skim and they can find the really important pieces easily. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I like including a table of contents almost at the start of my email where I like tell people, this is what you're going to hear in this email. Like I've got a bit about this, then this, and then I'm going to recommend this. And so if they want to, they can just like scroll down the email to get to the the third thing if that's what they wanted to see. And that's okay because it's still like them engaging with my content in some way. I don't mind if everyone doesn't read every single word, but yeah, just gives people like a little heads up of what to expect. That's so smart. Yeah, it is really smart. It's honoring the fact that people don't always have time (laughs) to read everything, but it gives them the option to be able to easily find the information they want, which is great. Yeah. Do you get a lot of replies to your emails or do you do anything Mm. to encourage replies? Ooh, this is something, it's really interesting, you know, us talking about the plain text email versus the like more stylized newsletter I get so many more replies to the plainer looking emails than I do to the like designed newsletter. And I get it, right? Because the plain email is plain for a reason. Like it's meant to feel like this is someone emailing another person. Mm -hmm. Whereas the more designed one is like a mini website in your inbox. And like you don't often comment on a website. So, you know, I get it. I get the most replies to my newsletter when I am talking about something that's 
like a little more personal or like a challenge, that sort of thing. Like the ones where I'm like, this is this cool landing page and this is why it's working well and doing a breakdown. They don't get as many replies as when I'm like talking about a struggle I faced in my career or like my thoughts on a struggle I've heard from another designer and asking for input on like, have you ever experienced this? Mm. People tend to reply more to that one, which is great because that means a lot when people want to engage with that type of content. I, because like there's much less replies to my emails than I get comments on YouTube. I have a little like like button almost in my emails Mm. where at the bottom it's like click the heart if you enjoyed this email and then someone clicks the heart and it takes them to like a little gif that says thank you or something cute like that usually it's a Shit's Creek gif because I really like that show (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's the best and then I count in my ConvertKit reporting I'm like how many people clicked on the giphy link and then that's for me like knowing how many people enjoyed that email and I just in this week's issue so I don't have much to report on yet but I saw in, I think it's Harry's Marketing Examples is another ConvertKit customer. One of my favorites. Yeah, he, he does like a rate this email. It was like great, good, something else at the bottom. And so I did that in my latest one hmm. oh. and had like a little link for Buddha Click to, to tell me what it was like. I'm going to open up my broadcast right now and see if... Yeah, I was going to say, tell us. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is like... <laughs> okay, so, so far it is... The great is winning, so that's good. That was the top rating that I gave it, but there's only six people who have clicked on that so far. So maybe people didn't make it all the way to the bottom of my email this week. But yeah, I'm going to keep keep trying that and see see how it goes. Yeah, that's awesome. From what I've seen, the people who include those in their emails, they don't get a ton of clicks. It's not getting utilized like you know a real like button would, but I still think it's really valuable information and you can find out kind of who you're like mm. most engaged, like truly engaged subscribers are and like super subscribers Yeah, in case you need to use that data later. I'm going to go look at the person who clicked my meh rating, which was my lowest Uh-oh. one. <laughs> and be like, mm. unsubscribe. Yeah. I hope it was someone from ConvertKit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I hope not. No. <laughs> I don't want to lose friends over this. <laughs> you know, they'd be, they'd be razzing you trying to. They'd, they'd be trolling me, wouldn't they? Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Pretty much everything you touched on that you're doing to get engagement are all the things that I try to tell people to do. So you're doing like gold star. Oh, good. Gold star. Yeah. Oh, amazing. (laughs) I didn't come on this show for the compliments, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. I loved the advice about like how when you share Mm. personal stuff or what you're struggling with or how that gets a lot of replies. And I have been doing something in my last two newsletters that have gotten me way more replies than normal. So just wanted to share in case anyone's wanting that. I started adding like questions that people are asking me to the top. So whenever someone replies and it's like, okay, I have a question for you, blah, 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 blah. In my next newsletter, that's like the top of the message. I'm like, okay, Joe says, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then I answer it. And now once I've been sending those, I get tons of questions from readers. And then that creates my content for me. So when I'm on that content hamster wheel, I'm like, what am I going to talk about this week? I just go into my inbox and see what are the questions I got and I can answer those. And that's a new newsletter issue. So that's been really helpful for me in both getting replies and figuring out what to write about. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. I feel like a lot of creators who have been doing email for a while, who have had like an audience for a while, sometimes I feel like people forget that they can get a little bit personal. It doesn't have to be like sharing your deepest, darkest secret or anything. But I do think asking like advice, 
you know, like we did at the beginning of this podcast, Alyssa, you know, stuff like that, remembering that there's people on the other side of the email. Like I know we say that a lot, but I do think when you get bogged down in like business decisions and everything going on in your, you know, your day to day, I think sometimes that gets kind of lost in translation. And the people who are keeping that in mind, I think are probably seeing a higher rate of success as far as engagement responses and kind of building that like personal relationship with their audience. So I think it's one of the more important things to talk about when customers ask questions like, how do I increase my engagement? Like that's something I try to really try to explain in a way that clicks for them. So I really love that advice. So good. I know we're running out of time. I have one other question that uh, I'm just curious about for you, Charlie. Have you thought about doing a paid newsletter slash do you have a paid community or have you had a paid community? Oh, I used to have a Patreon. Mm, That's what it was. And I closed it down because it was stressful for me. (laughs) I felt like I was on the hook for delivering more stuff Mm. when I was already like at my limit in the amount of content I was creating publicly. So it was like, okay, well, if I really want to like give enough value to my Patreon community, I'm going to have to stop doing something else. And I don't want to stop doing something else because that's what's growing my audience in the first place. And so, yeah, I ended up closing that down. I have considered starting up like a, a paid version of the marketing design dispatch. That's exactly the same content honestly, but is like giving people a way to support it if they get value from it, especially because it is like an industry newsletter. It's about brand and marketing design Mm -hmm. in tech, and it could be counted as a business expense for people. Like being subscribed to this newsletter is valuable for you in doing your job. You're going to learn things every week and like get tips and know what to be paying attention to. So that's something I've considered, but maybe that'll be next year's product that I decide (laughs) to create. (laughs) Yeah, I say do it. And I think anything where you have a bunch of experts, like people who are doing this for a living together, it's such a great opportunity to build a community where you're not the only one, like it's not all on your shoulders, Mm. but you've created the space where someone can say, Hey, I'm running into this issue. I don't know what to do. Like, do you guys have any advice? And then people can start hopping in and responding and you didn't have to do it, but you're like, you know, the backbone of the community. Yeah. So I don't know. You have a lot of ways to make money, Charlie. And I'm just seeing all the dollar signs. <laughs> Adding all, all the income streams. I'm trying desperately to make my, like, the balance is way off in my creator business at the moment where content sponsorships is far and away the main, like, driver of income. Like, I'm looking at my spreadsheet right now because I'm a nerd and I track it all like that, of course. Content income accounted for 94% of the nearly 60,000 pounds that I've earned in the past year. And so like my product category and other things is like way lower. I want to be able to do more like consulting for people. I do mentoring calls. I'd like them to be like booked out solidly so that I'm earning more income from that as well as making more from selling my digital products. So we need to clone you. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. we need more of you. <laughs> yeah, We need more of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, any closing thoughts before we all head into meetings and Slack and lots of fun stuff? I actually want to close by encouraging people to like make the choice to make a product that is going to be the funnest for you to create rather than the one that's perhaps going to be best for your business. Mm. Because I've found that making decisions like that, especially because my business is on the side still, Mm -hmm. helps make it fun and like keeps the business feeling enjoyable and feeling like it's for me, even though the audience and like the response you get to things has a great impact on 
what you create and like your potential and, and what you're able to do there. But if you make stuff that you like and that you want to make, you're going to be attracting the people who like, like the same stuff as you. And mm. I just think that that's a good way to go. So yeah, maybe don't make all of the decisions just based on business reasons, but include your own enjoyment in there as a factor too. Love that. Genius. Yes. <laughs> I'm inspired. Me too. My brain's going. What are you going to make? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, Melissa, what would you make? <laughs> I love how Alyssa throws it over to Melissa. Can I just say, well, this conversation is so much more relevant in my life. And this is a terrible example, but we did all of the like wedding stuff ourselves. Like my best friend made the sign, all the signage for the wedding and she used a template. And even just using a template is like overwhelming to me because of the whole like spacing things out. And like I said, I, I love interior design. I love certain kinds of design, but like when it comes to like web design, it truly is so challenging. And so this, all of this and like learning how you serve your audience has been really interesting and probably even more insightful for me just after having done like the smallest task possible. (laughs) So first of all, I really enjoyed that. And if I had to make something, I struggle with this all the time. I listen to like Charlie and Nathan and like all of these really intelligent people talk about how they make money online. And I just, my brain's always going the whole time. Like I'm like thinking during all of these conversations and I'm like, I still just don't know. Maybe I'll have an aha moment one day, but I'm like a lot of listeners probably who are like, I really want to do this thing and I just don't know what it is. So Mm. if that's you, you're not alone. I've always been a creative person. I started businesses when I was like, you know, eight years old, you know, making like a I want to sell purses or I want to do this thing. So I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit a little bit. But as I've gotten older, I feel like it's been more and more difficult to figure out what I like really enjoy. So to those of you who do know that, that's a very good gift to have because I do think it can be hard sometimes to sort of like narrow it down in a world where it feels like there is a lot of content information coming at you all the time. One day you're going to have that aha moment and you're going to like be able to talk about it on this podcast and you'll be able to reference back to this episode and we'll be like, there we go. <laughs> there it was. She got it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I'm hopeful still. So what about you, Alyssa? Now I'm pushing it back to you. Oh gosh. I don't really know. I, I mean, I've been trying to think with the deliverability dispatch newsletter because especially with the Creator Network right now. I was just on Nathan's podcast. I was on Spark Loop's office hours. Like I'm feeling some traction where mm-hmm. my list is growing faster than it has, you know, in the past. And yeah, now I'm like, okay, I really would love to sell something. But I haven't decided what yet. I kind of started messing around with a um, a checklist, a kind of like mm. before you send your email, look at this checklist mm. for deliverability. I abandoned it for other work, but... I don't know. I want to think of something at least quick to start with, but I think ideally I do want to do a deliverability course similar to Charlie. I'm like, I don't know how to find the time. A course feels very, like you said, overwhelming, especially because I'd love for it to have video elements and Mm -hmm. I'm a perfectionist. Like I want it to look really nice and sound nice. And I was a teacher. I want it to actually help people learn and be high quality. That to me seems like Am I going to take off a week of work and like do that sometime? I don't know. When's your sabbatical coming up? I was just about to ask that. (laughs) In a year. Yeah, one year. There we go. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's course time. Maybe. Or maybe it's (laughs) pina colada on the beach for a month. You know (laughs) what? You could do both. You could do both. Yeah. (laughs) I could do both. Uh, We'll see. But I think 
person uh, professionally, it would be a deliverability course for creators specifically. So it doesn't get too you know, crazy technical. Mm-hmm. Personally, I was so excited to start working like as a contract interior designer kind of mm-hmm. recently. After a few projects, I was like, oh, working for people mm. is not fun. Mm-hmm. I will create this beautiful design and these people, no offense, I know they're not listening to this. Their interior design is like 20 years ago, like mm-hmm. Tuscan I don't even know, like Olive Garden vibes or like mm. <laughs> Cheesecake Factory vibes. I don't know. <laughs> Not my vibes. So it's really hard yeah. to do interior design for people who aren't on the same page. And when you don't agree with what they want, but you still mm. have to give it to them. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking it'd be fun to to do some things with interior design where I don't have to do it that classic way. So maybe in the future, I'll explore that. I like it. And that's yeah. just going off to what interests you too, right? Yep. That would be the fun one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, this was really fun. I feel like we could talk for a lot more time, but maybe you can just come on again sometime and we can hit on another topic. Anytime. Yeah. Invite me on. Yay. I've got the link to your Riverside now, so I'll just join it. You can just pop in. And surprise yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> we would love that. Just a segment of like, what's Charlie up to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh. Okay. Well, I hope everyone has a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Charlie. Where can people find you and all of your things that they can buy from you? (laughs) (laughs) Not that I'm trying to sell you stuff on this podcast, but you can find all my things at charliemarie.com. It's probably the best place. That's Charlie without an E on the end, but Marie with an E. And I'm sure that you'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. Yes. You can find my YouTube, my blog, the newsletter, and the products. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. It was so great. Thanks for having me. See y'all later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.